The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. You guys doing this morning? Good. I kind of like the lights dim so I could see you. Uh, now I lost many of your faces. Uh, my name is Kevin Wilsey. I'm a minister of discipleship and operations here at Norris Ferry. If you are a guest here with us today, I just want to say welcome. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Thank you for, for getting out in the rain and, and coming and worshiping with us this morning. Um, this summer, we've been walking through the Minor Prophets, and this summer, we've been encouraged, just like the Minor Prophets are teaching the people, are teaching God's people, they're saying, remember the Lord. And this summer, we've been encouraged to make this a summer where we remember the Lord, where we remember the Lord in every aspect of our life, in every, uh, sorry, on every day that we would remember the Lord, that we would remember who God is, what he says, and what he's done for us. That through our actions and our words, they would be a picture of, and a resemblance, a resemblance of what God has done for us. And so we've been challenged this summer to, to think about and remember what the Lord has done. And so this morning and next week, we get to dive into the book of Haggai. And Haggai, the prophet, is going to draw our attention away from the things that we are placing above God and turn them and draw them back to the Lord. And let me tell you, this is something that I walked through this week, and it wasn't easy. To turn from something that I am focusing on, that I am placing above God, and turn and focus, re-examine my life to turn and focus on God. It is not easy to replace, to take something that you hold so dearly or that you run after for, for quick pleasures and take it away. That's not easy. But it is worth every bit of it because what you replace it with is God. And so Haggai draws the Israelites' attentions back to the Lord, away from what they have been focusing on. We will see that in this book, we will see that it is very easy to lose focus on God and place our focus on other things. And so for the next two weeks, that's what I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you to examine your life and to seek first God's kingdom. To examine your life and seek first God's kingdom. To seek first his glory. Because it is God's kingdom and God's glory that is greater than any material thing or greater than anything that we run to here on this earth. But before we jump into the book of Haggai, I kind of want to set up where the Israelites are and what's been going on. Okay, so throughout the Old Testament, we, we see that the Israelites' relationship with God ebb, ebbs and flows, right? There are times where they walk in obedience with God, and there are times where they walk in disobedience. Does that sound familiar? In my life, there are times where I walk in obedience to God, and there are times where I walk in disobedience. And at the end of Deuteronomy, we see Moses He predicts the Israelites will not be able to keep God's laws and that they will be exiled from the promised land. But one day God is going to restore and redeem and rescue his people. And so Moses, who who was leading the Israelites, he predicted that they're going to continue to disobey, continue to forget the Lord's commands and the Lord's promises. But one day God's going to come back and, and rescue them. Well, as you continue on in the story in throughout the New Testament, we see that the Israelites, they do exactly that. They ignore God's promises and laws, and they worship idols, and they focus on their own pleasures, and they focus on their own desires. And this eventually leads them to exile in Babylon. Okay? The Babylonians come in, they gather all God's people, and they set flame to God's temple. 
See, their, their disobedience to God led them to be taken captive by their enemies, and they're in this captivity for 70 years. They're in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. 70 years held by their enemies. And we get to the book of Ezra, and we see that a king comes along, and this king, inspired by God, King Cyrus, says, okay, you can go home. You're free. You're no longer captives. You're free to go home, but you must rebuild God's house. You must go back to Jerusalem and rebuild God's temple. And here this morning now, we come to the book of Haggai where we get to zoom in on this. We get to zoom in on the 49,000 Israelites who are journeying back to Jerusalem, who have journeyed back to Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. And their command is to rebuild God's house. Their command is to restore the worship of God at its rightful place, which is in the center of the people's lives. However, now that the Israelites are back in Jerusalem, they quickly fall into spiritual apathy and they quickly lose focus on worshiping God. They don't start to rebuild God's house. They get back to Jerusalem with the call and the command to rebuild his house, and they don't do it. They continue to walk and live in obedience. And what's important here, though, is also an understanding of God's temple, of God's house, right? To build God's house meant to bring back the presence of God with his people. Because in the Old Testament, that's where God resided, That's how you knew God was with his people. His presence was in his house, was in the temple. The people knew that he was there. But now they go back to Jerusalem, and for 18 years, they ignore God's presence. They don't rebuild his house. See, God's house and God's presence was a reminder that God is in their midst, that he is with them, that there was a place that provides reconciliation. There was a place where the people can go to and and be reconciled back to God, to confess, confess their sins and be restored in right relationship with God. But for 18 years, back in Jerusalem, the Israelites do not do this. They basically say, God, we don't need your presence. We're good. I got control of my life. I'm okay. I'm building my house. I'm focusing on on the things that I want to focus on. I'm focusing on my own interests. It's okay. It's okay. We're good. So for 18 years, they did this. See, they allowed cultural pressures, financial pressures, Drought in the land and different circumstances to rule their lives. They allowed all these circumstances to shift their priorities, to focus on themselves rather than living for God and obeying his commandments. Doesn't this sound familiar? Doesn't this sound familiar? This whole message is going to be heavy, so you guys stay with me, okay? Doesn't this sound familiar? We, as Christians, we look around and we see Christians, we see the church lose focus of God, right? We see Christians being influenced by their their circumstances, shifting their, their priorities to focus on things other than God. Now, I'm not saying that these other priorities are bad. No, they're most likely good, and they're created for good. But yet, because of us, because we are sinners, we in turn make them little idols in our life and little gods in our lives, therefore making them bad. See, we we have shifted our priority and our focus on other things. And we put these other things before God. And what I'm telling you today and what Haggai is telling you is your lives should be reexamined. You should continue to look at your lives and examine your lives. Guys, there are so many examples today of what people are running to other than God. 
There are so many examples today of, of Christians running to other things other than God. When you meet for discipleship with other brothers and sisters, that's the thing you're talking about. Man, I failed. Man, I'm running to something else. Man, I'm focused on something else. Help me focus on God. Our lives should be, our lives should be reexamined. For me, um, just a personal example that leads to a question that applies to, to all of us uh, is my cell phone. I would spend hours on my cell phone. My focus was, was turned to my cell phone. So when I got home, when, when I got home, instead of focusing on my relationship with God, instead of focusing on what God commands me to do, which is to, to train and equip and lead my family spiritually, instead of doing that, what did I do? I went through everything in my phone and I sat there. 15 minutes go by. 30 minutes go by, an hour goes by. Man, can you imagine 15 minutes in God's word? See, my focus was on my phone. My focus was on what are other people saying? What are other people doing? My focus was on sports. My focus was on this game is going on. What's the score? What are the stats? My focus wasn't on God. It wasn't on obeying God. It wasn't on my relationship with the Lord. And it affected my life and still does affect my life. Now, can a phone be, um, be used for God's glory? Yes, of course. But for me, my focus was, was on the phone more than it was on God. So I want you to hear what I'm saying. Okay, you can replace that cell phone with anything in your life. So hear this. The question to focus on is, does something in your life shift your attention away from God, away from living in obedience to God's commands? Does something in your life shift your attention away from focusing on God and shift it away from obeying God's commands? This is your job your kids, money, financial success. The list can go on and on and on. What is it? See, it's extremely easy to be influenced by something, to be distracted and to fall just like the Israelites fell into spiritual apathy. The world tempts us every day to do this and Satan wants that to happen. And this is where the Israelites are in the beginning of the book of Haggai. So before we dive in, let me pray and we'll get going. <clears throat> Father, thank you for convicting me this week of my lack of focus on you, my lack of focus on, on my relationship with you. Father, my, my lack of focus on what you've commanded me to do, which is to, to lead my family spiritually. Father, thank you for your word that, that convicts. Father, I pray this morning that, that your spirit would go before me, that, Father, your word would just jump off the page to the people sitting in this room and that they would realize that they need to examine their life. They need to examine their priorities and their circumstances. And, Father, they need to quickly turn and repent and bring their focus back to you. Father, I pray that our church, that Norris Ferry Church in South Shreveport, Father, that, that our people would obey your word, that they would fear you as Lord over their lives. And Father, that we would stand firm on the promise that you say you are with us. And Father, that, and that would give us the encouragement to continue to, to walk in obedience to your commands. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're done. I'm just kidding. We're not done. All right, the book of Haggai. All right, who knows where the book of Haggai is? Yeah, if you count 37, chapter, 37 books from the beginning of your Bible, you'll get to the book of Haggai. Or to make it easier on you, if you go to Matthew and you go three, count three back, you'll be there at the book of Haggai. Uh, in most of your Bibles, it's probably just two pages. 
The book of Haggai is two chapters. Uh, it might even just be one page. Um, and so it's a very, very small book. But today we're going to be challenged to consider our priorities and circumstances and respond with repentance so that we will be restored to be we will be restored to a right relationship with God. So join me, verse 1. And I'm just reading verse 1 right now. But we're going to see a challenge that comes from the prophet of Haggai to the Israelites. So verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet Zerubbabel. Say Zerubbabel. Yeah, it's fun to say, huh? Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, that's harder to say, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest. So the book of Haggai, just set up, the book of Haggai is comprised of four messages from the Lord. The Lord gave Haggai specific messages to speak to the Israelites. Okay, so in the book of Haggai, we'll see those four messages. Right now, we just see that there is the first message here. Okay, and the Israelites, they're in captivity. Um, they're freed from captivity in Babylon. They're back in Jerusalem, and they've been hanging out there for, for 18 years. And Haggai challenges the people to continue to do what the Lord has called them to do, which is rebuild God's house. But the people, they're having difficulty doing this, okay, because of where their priorities lie. So here, verse 1, we come to the first message of Haggai. Uh, the date is important. It's the first day of the, the sixth month, and that gives you the idea that there's actually a time of, of festivities going on. This is the new, new moon festival, and so everyone's out. Everyone's at the center of the town. And Haggai and his boys, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they're, they're hanging out most likely at this, this gathering place. Um, oftentimes it was right in front of the temple because they don't have God's temple. Um, it might be behind them, burned down, and they're all just hanging out. Okay? And Haggai, he turns to his boys and he says, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. I want you to underline Lord of hosts. And every time you see Lord of hosts, I want you to underline it. Because the idea here, thus says the Lord of hosts, is showing you that God is sovereign over all. That God is control of all. That he is all powerful. This is the God that is speaking to these people. So remember that. I'm not going to touch on it much anymore, but remember that. Okay, and Haggai turns, he says, the Lord of the host says, these people, these people, you get this feel that there's a separation. What's going on here? These people, the Lord is calling the Israelites, who are, are God's people, are his people, and he's saying, these people. He's saying, these people. You see, there's a, a barrier between them and the Lord. There's a detachment in their relationship. We're going to find out what that is. Okay? These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. See, their attitude towards faith, towards their relationship with the Lord, has created a barrier. Their spiritual apathy, their desire to, to have God's presence in their life, to focus on him, is not there. And it has caused a detachment in their relationship. They say the time has not come to rebuild the Lord's house. This is them saying, God, the place you reside here on earth with us, the place where you dwell, the place where you can be reconciled, where we can be reconciled back to you, it's not important to us right now. We're good. We got it under control. See, these people, they don't see the weight of their sin. They don't see the need that they, they have for a God. Do you see the disrespect here? They don't see the need for God in their lives. See, rebuilding God's house, it is not a top priority for them. The people instead are focusing on their own homes. 
It's not a top priority for them. They, and we see here that the people, they don't necessarily view it as laziness or selfishness, but they just view it as a timing issue. But they've been in Jerusalem for 18 years, so how much time do you need to turn from focusing on yourself to turn back to God? The idea here is that we'll eventually get to building God's house. It's just not the right time. And historically, you can look back in in God's word and you can read these commentaries and you can can come up with the reasons of, of why they said it wasn't the right time. There's all these different issues, but I'm not even gonna bring them up because we see that God already knows the ultimate reason. We see in these next verses that God already knows where their heart lies. So our attention shouldn't be drawn on on what is going on because God is about to speak directly into what is truly going on. Okay? Verse 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Same word. From prophet, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Haggai challenges God's people to consider their priorities. The idea is to examine your heart and to turn back to God. And they say it's just not time. It's not time to build God's house yet, but they have had plenty of time, 18 years, to focus on their own priorities. All you've done for 18 years, take care of your own interests. You have decorated your own house with cedar. You have put a nice recliner here. You got real comfortable. You put a roof over your head so it it would protect you from storms. But yet my house lies in ruins. Consider your priorities. Focus on me. Don't focus on these things. You have only been focusing on yourselves and putting your own material well-being first. God is not central in their life, and we see that. They have forgotten the importance of God in their lives, or at least they're living like that, right? So Haggai, he calls them, reconsider your priorities. And as the Israelites were called to examine their lives and and focus on rebuilding God's home, Christians today are called to do the same. This just looks a little different for us, right? God's church, the body of Christ, represents God's presence to the world. Christians are the new temple. As 2 Corinthians 6 says, For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. But let me ask you, how often do you forget that you are a representative of God? How often do you forget that? In your lives, when you wake up in the morning, when you get to work, when you go to lunch, when you come home from work, are you thinking, I am a Christian who is a representative of God? If that's the case, then every action, every word you say should be honoring and glorifying to him. Your focus should be on him. Your lives should focus on him. We often find our, our priorities shifting from focusing on living for God to focusing on our own interests, our own homes. So do you find yourself, like the Israelites, so busy with taking care of your own interests that you're creating a barrier in your relationship with the Lord? And you continue to walk like that. And then you get down the road, and you're like, Lord, you're so distant. He's distant because your focus is not on him. Let me tell you, though, he is not distant. He is right there. 
but your focus is just not on him? Are you too busy building your own kingdom, focusing on your own glory? What are you focused on more than Jesus? Is it a, a love for money? Is it your image? Is it materials? You got to have the next best thing. Is it your kids? Is it your own comfort or, or security? What is it? A lot of these things are, are good. But are you placing it above God? Are you placing it above your relationship with him? You see, living a life of obedience to God is also referred to living a life of worship. Okay, so the Bible calls us to live a life of obedience, to live a life of worship of God. And I want to get your minds off of that when you just come on Sunday mornings or when you come on uh, Wednesday nights or go to a, a community group during the week, that specific moment shouldn't be the only worship in your life. I was reading an article, and in this article, uh, this bishop, he, he wrote on the priority of worship. And he said, true worship, in other words, is defined by the priority we place on who God is in our lives and where God is on our list of priorities. True worship is a matter of the heart expressed through a lifestyle of holiness. Thus, if your lifestyle does not express the beauty of holiness through an extravagant or exaggerated love for God, and you do not live in extreme or excessive submission to God, then I invite you to make worship a non-negotiable priority in your life. True worship is to die to your self-centered life, focus on whatever it is that, that comes before God, and live for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Right? Jesus says that in Mark. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone's going to follow me, let him die to myself. Let him take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, whoever's focused on himself, is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel is going to save it. We are called to deny ourselves and represent God to others here on earth. But are we doing that, or are we just living for ourselves? And on Sunday morning, you come in, and you go to community group. But are you truly focused on God? See, oftentimes we let our priorities distract us from knowing, loving, and obeying God. Knowing, loving, and obeying God. This God, this God of the Bible he deserves our full attention. He deserves our full obedience and our full love. So I challenge you to know God's word and to turn your focus away from something else and put it back in him. So consider your priorities. Two practical questions for y'all. Um, if you're thinking about priorities, um, if you are struggling with thinking, if you're putting any priorities above, above God, Ask yourself these two things. Whose interests are more important to me, my own or God's? Whose interests are more important to me, my own or God? And number two, are any of my priorities creating a barrier between my relationship with the Lord? Are any of my priorities creating a barrier between my relationship with the Lord? Okay? And then Haggai, he doesn't stop there. He keeps, he keeps pounding, pounding at him. And um, I had this in originally, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it back in. I didn't say this in the nine, but as I was going through this, how, how many of you guys know Zidane Zidane? You guys know that soccer player Zidane Zidane? And have you guys seen the clip? Maybe you've seen this clip if you don't know who the player is. But um, he turns around to a defender, and he just headbutts the defender right in the chest, and the defender flies back. I mean, it's powerful right? As I'm going through this, I feel that heavy weight of the Lord just going, boom, right to my chest. Because Haggai is telling the Israelites to re-examine every aspect of their life, re-examine their priorities. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, when was the last time I looked at my priorities? 
Lord, am I, am I truly focused on you? Guys, I work at a church and I'm asking myself, Lord, am I truly focused on you? So don't tell me that you won't fall into this. Because I'm surrounded by this. But yet it is so easy for me to turn my focus away from the Lord. And I know it is for you too. So we need to examine. We need to consider our priorities. And the next, Haggai continues. He's just, that headbutt just really, it's strong. He continues in verse 5. And he says, you don't, you don't need to just re-examine your priorities, but you need to look at your circumstances. So that's what we're going to look at. Consider your circumstances. Verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, underline it, Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, we see Haggai is asking them to examine their hearts, to search deeply and turn back to the Lord. Verse 6, you have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Look back on your life these last 18 years. Look how you have been living for yourself rather than living for God and see that this has brought about struggles. You planted a bunch of seeds, but only a few grew. You, you eat, but you never have your full. You're always hungry. You, you drink to quench your thirst, but it is never enough. You put on clothes, but man, I'm still cold. You make money for yourself, but it never seems to hold its worth. Israelites, look at your life and what is going on. Consider that your priorities in your life are distracting you from God and causing these circumstances in your life. Jump to verse 9, down to verse 9. You looked for much. He's explaining a little more in detail what, what he means here. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. So the Lord talking. I blew it away. Why? Declares the Lord of hosts, underline, the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house, therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce, and I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors." See, all this time, the Lord did not permit them to prosper so that they would be forced to analyze their lives at a deeper level. The Lord blew anything they had away all to root out the sin that is in their life. He disciplined them to get their attention, to turn their priorities back to him. But the Israelites, they're apathetic in their relationship with the Lord. And they're not giving any thought to his house. His house lies in ruins. He says, but each of you busies himself with his own house. The idea here is that when they saw something that they needed for their own home, they ran to it. Man, why aren't they running towards what the Lord needs? What are you running to? Are you focused just on yourself? Are there circumstances in your life where the Lord's saying, wake up! There is sin in your life and I love you. Turn. Come back to me. Walk in righteousness. Walk in, in holiness. Verse 10. We see the link here from their behavior to their circumstances. Therefore, therefore, it links their behavior of them putting something else above God to their circumstances. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld. Their selfishness and their disobedience has caused the heavens to withhold the dew and the earth to withhold produce. And the Lord called for a drought and it affected every area of their life. He was disciplining his people. 
the ones he loves. He was reminding them of the covenant obligations that they made back with him in Deuteronomy 28. In Deuteronomy 28, it's not going to be on the screens, but um, the obligations, the covenant obligations show, this is verses 1 through 6, and if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall, call, call, shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And then he goes through and he says, you will be blessed, you will be blessed, you will be blessed. Does that sound like how the people here in Haggai are living? No, they're not being blessed. They're not obeying God's word. And in that same passage, just in Deuteronomy, just a little further, starting in 15, he says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And you jump down a little further and tell me if this sounds familiar. You shall carry much seed into the, into the field and shall gather in little, for the locusts shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, for your olives shall drop off. This is where the Israelites are. They're not obeying God's commands. And because of that, God is disciplining them. So let me challenge you to consider your circumstances. Do your circumstances show evidence of disobedience or sin in your life? See, think about your life and ask yourself, could God be trying to get my attention through his discipline? And I want to be clear that you're not hearing me. Every suffering or every pain that you encounter is discipline from the Lord. Because that's not true. But what I am saying is when we go through suffering, when we are in tough times, when we encounter tough circumstances, we should carefully examine our lives. a thorough and honest self-examination where we are quick to repent. Where we are quick to repent and come back into obedience of, of the Lord. See, the Lord does discipline his children, and it's out of his grace that he, he shows us that we're rebelling against him. Okay? Turn to Hebrews 12. I'm going to read a few verses here. Hebrews 12. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. This is verse 7, sorry. Hebrews 12, verse 7. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, if we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them, Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short, short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. See, the Lord disciplines us for our good. He disciplines us because he loves us. He disciplines his children to turn them away from death and destruction and turns them towards life and salvation and to share in Christ's holiness. Oh, what great, great grace is the Lord's discipline to us sinners. And I want to be clear that you don't, you don't see this as punishment. Because hear me, punishment is experiencing God's wrath. And if you, are, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, 
then he has experienced God's wrath on behalf of you. Even though you deserve it, Jesus came in and took your place, took your punishment. And now you no longer receive God's wrath. You no longer receive God's punishment. But you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. And you are clean. And so God's discipline on your life is not punishment. But it is saying, child, I love you. Come back to me. Don't focus on these things that are not going to be good for you. Don't focus on these things that aren't going to satisfy. Come and focus on me. Come drink from my well, because I will give you everlasting life. This is what his discipline says. This is what his discipline does, and it brings us and it leads us back to share in Christ's holiness, to, to walk in God's righteousness. So Haggai, he calls us to to consider our priorities, to consider our circumstances. Are we putting something else above God? Is there evidence of God's discipline in our lives? And if you jump back up to verse 7, verse 7 connects with where we're about to go, which is 12 through 15. And the Lord of hosts calls the Israelites to action. So he gives them a a glimpse of how they can walk in obedience. In verse 7, he says, Consider your circumstances. Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. See, the Lord allows them to examine their circumstances so that their circumstances, so they see that their circumstances are actually the Lord's discipline. But he calls them to action. He says, I have a remedy for you. If you go to the hills, if you bring wood, and if you start to build my house, then I'm going to take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified. If you obey, it shows that you have genuinely repented. It shows that you've genuinely turned back to me to worship me. Not to worship other things. Not to worship yourself. If they do this, their hearts would no longer be seeking after the world and his pleasures, but they would be seeking after God and his kingdom, his glory, his righteousness. See, we need to consider our circumstances and then we need to seek God's call to action. God does provide a remedy Let me share with you what that call to action is. We see it uh, exampled for us by the Israelites. I I love these final verses because we, we get to see that the message from the Lord, the message from Haggai to the people, it didn't fall on deaf ears. It didn't fall on deaf ears. So verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what'd they do? obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God. And the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord, their God, had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. See, the Israelites, they saw that everything Haggai was saying to them was true. And what did they do? They turned and they obeyed. They turned and they respond with repentance. They re-examine their priorities and their circumstances, and within a short amount of time, quickly, once they realized what they were doing, they repented. They turned. We see at the end of this that it was 24 days later where they obey. 24 days. And they turned and they obeyed. It was quick. They started to rebuild his house. Their hearts were changed and they quickly repented and turned back to living for God. But we also see something great that happens after they repented. We see that the Lord restores them. We see that there's a sense of restoration. Look at verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. This is great. I am with you declares the Lord. 
And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, underline, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Spoken from the mouth of the Lord of hosts, God promises his presence. He says, I am with you. How comforting are those words. I am with you. Guys, look at your priorities. Look at your circumstances. Turn back to me. When you walk in obedience, I am with you. I am for you. And when I'm for you, nothing can be against you. Those words provide comfort for them to continue to do the task that God has called them to do. To obey. To obey his word. See, these words, they show a restored relationship between God and mankind. The separation at the beginning of the passage is no longer there. The barrier between their relationship is no longer there. This Lord of hosts, he is their God. And they can find courage and comfort in completing that task to rebuild his temple and to glorify his name. And so now the Israelites, they're walking again. They're walking in obedience. And this morning, I want to ask you to consider your priorities, consider your circumstances. What are you putting above your relationship with the Lord? What commands are you, are you not obeying? What is distracting you from obeying those commands? See, we need to be quick to repent of our self-centered focus. We need to repent of it immediately. And as you repent, then you walk. You walk listening and obeying God's word. You walk in righteousness. And we need to remember that it is only because of Jesus Christ that we can represent God to the world, that we can walk in righteousness. Right? God sent his son Jesus to be the visible symbol of God's presence to the world. Emmanuel, God with us. And it was Jesus who showed true zeal for God's house, for a place of, of God's presence by, in John 2, cleansing the temple. And this is what Haggai is asking them to do. Cleanse the temple. Christians, if we are God's temple, if we represent God, let me ask you, cleanse. Look at everything in your life and say, is this God honoring? Is this keeping me from obeying God's commandments? And if it is, cleanse it. And we need to remember so we don't get lost in, in the weight of this sin, in the weight of not being able to, to live for God, not being able to um, continue to, to live holy lives because we're going to fail because we are sinners. But we need to remember that it was Jesus who took upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our self-focused He took the punishment that we deserve for our self-centered focus. And now because of Jesus, God, he can dwell with his people. Because Jesus has made us, has made you clean. Jesus has already forgiven you for your disobedience. And all you have to do is repent and strive to continue to obey him. See, God can only dwell within us because of what Jesus has done. And now that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father waiting to come back, we can hold fast to the promise that is in Matthew 28. I am with you. I am with you always till the end of the age. See, he is with us and that can give us confidence that God is going to one day come back, establish his kingdom in this world in and through us, he is establishing it now, and we, in turn, must 
continue to examine our priorities and our circumstances, and we must often, we must often turn to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, as the band comes back up, and as we are about to, to close in song, Father, I, I pray that we, we will examine our lives, that we will examine our priorities, that we will take a look at our circumstances. And Father, that we would, we would see if there's any, any sin there or any signs of your discipline. And Father, I know for some people in this room, you, you have placed, uh, you've shown them what, what that sin is. Father, I pray that they wouldn't leave this room without repenting of that immediately. And Father, as we leave these doors, as we continue to to walk day by day, struggling to to live in obedience, Father, I, I pray that we will hold fast to your words that say you are with us. And that would give us courage and comfort to continue to, to build your house here to focus on you and not focus on ourselves. Father, that would encourage us to be quick to repent of sin. That would encourage us to be quick to share the gospel with neighbors. Father, that our our sin and our circumstances, don't let them stop us from glorifying your name in everything we do and everything we say. Father, may we be a people who are, are quick to repent and quick to walk in obedience. Father, we're, we're about to sing, and Father, if anyone has, has repented like, like I have this week of my sin that I've placed above you, Father, I pray now we can all stand together and we can all rejoice because our lives are hid in Christ. We can rejoice that you are a, a mighty God, a holy God, and you can even use us sinners. Father, I pray that this church would would just turn and keep our eyes locked on you, that we would turn and we keep our eyes locked on your word, and that we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, holding fast to the promise that you are with us. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.